Ever heard the phrase, it's not the arrow, it's the Indian? By no means politically correct these days. And if it triggered you, well, deal with it. What the phrase means is that it's not the level or expense of the bow and arrow that provides the accuracy. It's the skill of the archer. This is a lesson that needs to be taken to heart in the shooting world. I see, every day, people spending money for improvements on their guns that isn't helping the shooter put rounds on target. I touched on this phenomenon in the last episode, so I'm not going to beat the point like a rented mule. Today, I'm going to talk about carrying what you're good with. So, let's get to it. Hey, you scallywags. Welcome to our Pirate Talks Guns Podcast. I'm your host, John Sello, the president and lead instructor at the Tactical Pirate. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. I recently read an article on the USA Carry website written by Sam Huber titled Six Reasons the 1911 is the Worst Carry Gun Ever. I'll post a link to it in the show notes. Now, as a longtime aficionado of John Browning's seminal fighting pistol, I I love reading articles like this one. See, these days it's de rigueur for gun writers to hate on the 1911. To be relevant in today's world, the pundits need to wax poetic on the advantages of the latest piece of plastic foisted on the shooting public. Apparently, there's a law that says you have to beatify Gaston Glock for his creation to reach the acme of the gunwriter world. At least it sure seems that way, as every gunwriter has written at least one article doing this. Now, are any of the tactical Tupperware pistols out there any good? <laughs> Certainly. Glock cruises on its reputation for easy use and reliability. SIG, Smith & Wesson, and Springfield Armory all make popular, good polymer guns. They're light, reliable, and have great ammunition capacities. Mrs. Pirate swears by her SIG 365. I myself am particularly enamored with the SIG 320, and it will probably be my next and my first polymer pistol. However, none of the polymer offerings will be my first or second choice for a carry pistol, and and here's why. I've carried a 1911 for longer than, probably, many of you have been alive. A 1911 was the very first pistol I shot, and that was 60 years ago. Needless to say, I'm extremely familiar with the platform, and six decades have cemented my trust in them. So I'm going to take the good Mr. Huber's article on point by point and give you a non-hater's view of the gun. You see, I'm not out to kiss any rings and sort at the top of the gun rider heap. A Hoover leads off with, for some reason, the 1911 hangs on. Some people insist that it's all they would trust their life to, and that it's the greatest handgun ever made. Hogwash! Some people hear the ramblings of older shooters. During times of shortage of handguns, 
The proliferate nature of 1911 manufacturers may make it a more readily available choice of pistol. At the time of its invention, it was a technological leap forward. Today, it's aggressively obsolescent, and there is almost no tangible benefit to using one if a more modern alternative is available. If you were to think of getting one for use as a carry gun, here are six reasons why it's a terrible choice. So, we could see right off the bat that he's just a little opinionated. His opening statement is pretty inaccurate. I take his reference to older shooters to mean shooters with decades of experience. He mentions the proliferate nature of the 1911. While a term not really applicable to anything manufactured, I, I understand that he means lots of manufacturers still making them. And why are so many gun makers producing 1911s? It's because there's a demand for them. And not just from the older shooters. We live in a capitalist society. If a product isn't wanted, manufacturers don't produce them. Riven, the electric truck maker, learned this the hard way. Every single semi-automatic pistol made today that uses the recoil-operated design can trace its lineage back to the 1911 and the first Wonder 9, the Browning High Power. They're both time-tested, proven designs, which is why new iterations of both guns can still be had. The demand is still there. Now, I have no idea what the hell aggressively obsolescent means, but obsolescent items don't continue to be produced for over 100 years. If you doubt me, go and try to buy a new Edsel or a steam-powered excavator. On to Huber's six reasons. Reason one is that the 1911 is heavy. Yes, it is. For one, it's made of metal. Metal is heavier than plastic. Take a two-quart saucepan and a two-quart Tupperware container and weigh them. You see what I'm getting at here? Now, in my experience, heavier guns help steady aim, especially for follow-up shots. You know, the kind you may have to make in a gunfight. A SIG 365 and 9mm is certainly lighter and easier to carry all day, but the recoil is also pretty snappy. Now, compared with the gentle push of a 45 ACP round in a heavy gun, it's a lot harder to keep your gun on target shot to shot with the lighter guns. And the 1911 to 9mm barely moves at all, with all that weight soaking up the recoil. Now, Huber also claims that carrying the weight of a 1911 even with the good gun belt, is miserable. Now, I won't use the term pansy, but I carried one in an inside-the-waistband holster for far longer than the better part of two years, Huber claims. The weight was never really a hindrance or even a consideration. Oh, and, and mine is a double stack, more on that later, in 45 ACP. I carried that and two extra mags. Now, full disclosure here, I've moved to carry optics, 
See, experienced shooters are, in fact, adaptable to new technology. So I've been carrying a Beretta 92 while I look for a decent Series 70 slide with optic cuts. And then it's right back to the 1911. And the 33 ounce weight of the Beretta is a mere 5 ounces lighter than the 1911. Now Huber's second point is that the 1911 is huge. Huge, I tell you. Huge. The government model 1911 is 8 and 1 half inches long. Well, let's compare that to the Glock 17 at 7 and 1 half inches in length. Why, the tactical Tupperware is an entire inch shorter. It's so small it's virtually invisible. And height-wise, 5 and 1 half inches for the 1911 and 5.47 for the Glock. Yes, the 1911 certainly dwarfs the Glock, doesn't it? Now Hoover goes on to bag on the 1911 7 or 8 plus 1 capacity in point number 3. Uh, apparently in his obviously vast shooting experience, he's never seen or heard of a double stack 1911. Yes, the 1911's anemic capacity is exactly why it's the gun of choice for USPSA shooters, right? There are a good many double-stack 1911's on the market today. Magazine capacity doesn't need to be a point of contention. Now, Huber finally makes some actual sense in his fourth point, which is you don't need a 1911 to shoot accurately. You know, had I not read the entire article, when I reached this point, I could almost think it he had a lick of sense. But then again, I did read the rest of the article, so this particular illusion was destroyed quickly. Of course you don't need a 1911 to shoot accurately. You need to practice with whatever gun you want to be proficient with. Remember the title of this podcast, It's Not the Arrow, It's the Indian. His fifth point, you'll spend more on a 1911 one way or the other, makes no sense to me at all. He blathers on about needing gunsmithing level tuning and polishing, decent sights and other things. Quality pistols don't need any of that. And my double stack is a Springfield and my single stack is a SIG. I haven't had to do anything to them. Run a couple of boxes of shells through them, and they were broken in and good. I also can't help notice the burgeoning market in aftermarket parts for Glock pistols. Doesn't their logo say Glock Perfection? How do you improve on perfection? Now let me take a minute here to let you know where you need to go for your next holster. Now Brittany and Nathan are the artists behind Parker's Custom Leather. I regularly carry a 1911 in a leather holster trimmed with Stingray from them that is absolutely beautiful. Holsters are custom molded to the particular firearm, and the finish and detail are outstanding. And they're more than holster makers. Need a custom belt? No problem. For you equestrians, they make all the tack you'll need, from bridles to breast straps. I, I had to look that up. I was not what I had thought. Give their Facebook page a visit and look at some of their work. Then give this veteran-owned business a call and see what they can do for you. 
And Hoover's last, most laughable point is, the 1911 is not for newbies or casuals. To become proficient at running a pistol with a manual safety that has to be used, you have to train with it a lot. This guy should really be an FBI agent where he can use his skills at using clues. And to be proficient at running any pistol means you have to train with it a lot. I shot my first one at seven years old. Manipulating a manual safety is a training issue. It surely must have been traumatic for Huber to have to learn how to use a slide or magazine release. In the last of his observations, I'm going to mock, a 1911 pistol has to be maintained, especially lubricated and frequently, to run reliably. Everything inside the gun is metal. It has to run wet. Does this tell you that he's a Glock fanboy? Duh. Gun no need have safety. Duh. Gun metal. Duh. No have clean gun. This has always been one of Glock's selling points that their guns will run dirty. Good for them. If you can't spend the 20 minutes or less it takes to clean your gun, get a Glock. If you're like normal humans, you clean your guns, and they don't malfunction just because they're dirty. So we're done with Hoover. If I find myself at writer's block at some point, I'll do another one of his articles, as I'm sure it will be equally as informative and entertaining. Regardless of the pistol you carry for defense, you need to be way more than proficient with it. Proficiency only means that you know what the controls are, what they do, and when to use them. You're betting your life on this piece of equipment, so you need to be intimately familiar with it. Up to the point of actually pulling the trigger, clearing your cover garment, drawing, and acquiring a sight picture should be muscle memory, done without any conscious thought. The only way you'll ever reach intimate familiarity with your gun is to train with it. Buy a quality, reliable gun that fits your hand, get a decent holster and dedicated gun belt, and train with all that just the way you'll carry it. Any quality firearm is going to be far more accurate than we're able to shoot them. Don't believe me? Find someone with a gun rest and fire five rounds from your gun with it. It will probably make one ragged hole. So until you're able to match the accuracy of a machine rest, spend your money on targets and ammo, and shoot the damn gun. Shoot it until it's a natural extension of you. If you reach that point, then, and only then, think about a different trigger, smoothing, polishing, animal sacrifices, whatever you think may enable you to shoot more accurately. I'd be willing to bet if you shoot a box stock defensive gun enough to where you master it, there won't be any doodads you can add to it that will let you shoot more accurately. Now remember, it's not the arrow, it's the Indian. It's not the gun, it's the shooter. Tiger Woods would beat me over 18 holes using only a 7-iron while I had a full bag of clubs at my disposal. 
An experienced shooter with the box stock gun will outshoot a beginner with the full-on race gun. Now I used Huber's article to make a point. The gun you're familiar with and comfortable with is the gun you want in a gunfight. There is no perfect defensive pistol. A handgun is a compromise at best. As Clint Smith said, a handgun is for shooting your way to your rifle. But a handgun is what you're more than likely to have when the balloon goes up. I carry a 1911 because I'm intimately familiar with it. I know what its capabilities are, and more importantly, what its limitations are. This comes from years, decades actually, of experience with the platform and countless rounds sent downrange. I'm confident in the gun's abilities and mine in using it. Now, these are the same reasons while I'm carrying a Beretta 92 right now until I find an optic-ready slide for my 1911. From being in the military and owning a personal one, I've got a significant amount of time and rounds downrange through the Beretta. Again, it's not the arrow, it's the Indian. And probably, much to Hoover's dismay, I have no difficulty switching from a cocked and locked single-action automatic to a double single-action one. Train with them enough, and it becomes muscle memory. And remember, there's a difference between practice and training. You practice the basic fundamentals of marksmanship. You train to employ your weapon as you would in a gunfight. Train like your life depends on it, because someday it might. Well, that's going to be it for this episode. We're launching the 2024 training year with a South Carolina Concealed Weapons class this Saturday. If you're interested in taking a class, see our class calendar link in the show notes. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider letting a like-minded friend know about it. doesn't cost you a penny to tell someone it's out there. If you have a suggestion on a topic you'd like me to cover, contact me by email, preferably, Text, call, put up smoke signals, send a carrier pigeon, whatever it takes. Until next time, shoot safe.